Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. May only the truth be spoken here, and only the truth be heard, in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I shall begin with a story. About six months after being ordained a priest, I went out to Solomon Islands as a lecturer in the theological college there, Bishop Patterson Theological Center. It was a residential community of about 100 staff and students, and generally a very happy place. However, sometimes there were shocks and surprises. It was a Pentecost Sunday, and one of the second-year students, John, was preaching. He began his sermon with an exclamation, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Suddenly the principal, a priest from what was then the New Hebrides, jumped to his feet and started shouting, rubbish, rubbish. Pentecost is not the birthday of the church. What about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about the disciples? Pentecost is not the birthday of the church, rubbish and he sat down. Well, this is not the kind of action one expects in the church, certainly not in line with the Diocese of Niagara's safe church policies, and we were all stunned. The poor student quaked in his bare feet, but the celebrant, rather used to the principal, the deputy principal, calmly nodded for him to continue, and he completed the sermon. The service went on as though nothing had happened, and we all received our communions. Afterwards, when the student was changing out of his vestments in the sacristy, the principal popped in, smiled, and said, good sermon, son, good sermon. John, the student, as he told us later, uttered a few choice words in his local language, which the principal did not understand. John went on to graduate and became a very fine parish priest, now sadly departed. The principal, you guessed it, became a bishop and also departed. But the effect on me has been 45 years later, still seared across my brain. The question is, is Pentecost the birthday of the church? The answer I've decided is that the church has many birthdays not just the one we celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. Many times, Christ or the Holy Spirit intervenes in human affairs and gifts us with a community called apart, Ecclesia, to be Christ in the world as a community. One such birthday of the church is Easter Sunday, the events in the upper room, the evening of the day of Christ's resurrection which the dean preached about on so-called Low Sunday. And before I get to today's gospel, which relates to it, let us go back to John 20, 19, and the verses that follow, and what I believe can be called the Johannine birthday of the church. The disciples are gathered in fear. They have heard reports of Christ's resurrection, but they are confused and afraid and are hiding behind locked doors. The resurrected Christ appears and greets them with his shalom, 
his deep abiding peace, showing them his wounds. They recognize him and are filled with joy. Jesus again extends his shalom and speaks, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He breathes on them. Remember that the Hebrew word ruach means wind, breath, and spirit. With that resurrection ruach, they receive the Holy Spirit, uniting them and sending them out in a ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation. Not only is this resurrection appearance the birth of the church for John, but also the birth of Christian mission, God's mission, God's sending, missio dei, providing its structure. As my parent has sent me, so I send you. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples are often sent out during Jesus' lifetime. But in John's gospel, they're not sent out until they experience the resurrection and its power. This passage also provides a major biblical basis for the Trinitarian nature of the church and mission. The divine father or parent, to use gender neutral language, and has sent their deeply beloved begotten offspring, Jesus, the anointed one, Christ into the world, who in turn imparts the eternal divine spirit of love to his followers and sends them and us out into the world to a ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness. Jesus speaks about these relationships in his lifetime in today's gospel from John chapter 10. It is winter and Jesus is walking in a porch of the temple and is confronted by his critics who demand to know if he is the Messiah. Jesus does not answer directly, but explains that the works he has been doing are his, in his Father's name testify to who he is. Those who recognize who Jesus is are his followers, the sheep following their shepherd, and they are given eternal life. Eternal life in John is not in the future. Indeed, it is the deep shalom that Jesus imparts with the resurrection. These faithful followers are also eternally in the Father's hand, for Jesus concludes, the Father, or parent, and I are one. The Spirit is not yet mentioned, it has, it has not yet been imparted to the church that comes with the resurrection, though of course it is present in the perfect love of Jesus and the divine parent. Now at this point, this sermon could go at least three different directions, the church, the mission, or theology, or, tr or the Trinity, as all are manifest, revealed, and clarified in Christ's resurrection and the events in the upper room. However, a good sermon has only one point, and since it is sometimes the most misunderstood or even doubted, I shall stick with the Trinity. We have the text of today's gospel, the Father and I are one, and the Trinitarian sending out by the resurrected Jesus in the upper room, as a father or parent has sent me, I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. Early Greek theologians coined a word to describe this mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity, perichoresis, literally going or coming around, or a kind of rotation, a certain circular motion of the three divine persons and their interrelationships is suggested, into which we are drawn by the Holy Spirit. We are blessed, sent out into the world, 
and even drawn back by the continued indwelling of the Holy Spirit in ourselves. As Jesus puts it in his great high priestly prayer at the Last Supper, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. But not one in a static way, but with the gift of the promised advocate, the Holy Spirit, given in the upper room at Easter, sent out with resurrection joy to the ministry of forgiveness, reconciliation, and indeed justice. Now, remembering that much theology is ultimately metaphor or analogy, some modern theologians have noted the resemblance between the Greek word choreo, as in perichoresis, movement, and chorea, dance, and have suggested that one way to understand the mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity is as a kind of divine dance. Greek scholars point out the two words have different roots, yet they're possibly cognates, and certainly a pun might be in play. Remembering David's joyful dance before the tabernacle, dance is good, a joyful and worshipful activity in the Bible. But I believe we can describe Easter joy and the Holy Trinity as a metaphorical divine dance in which we are, to which we are invited. While it may not go back to the earliest Christian traditions, there are some very old traditions of speaking of Jesus and the Trinity in terms of a divine dance. Let me briefly mention the three songs. It's quite likely that they are, are familiar to you. The Shakers were a 19th century New England religious sect that eventually moved to England where they were known as Shaking Quakers. We know them for their furniture, their simple life, their songs, their celibacy, and their sacred dance. Indeed, in their sacred dance, they shaked off their sins. That was kind of the theology of it. Indeed, they are even having a revival, and you can watch modern-day Shakers dancing on YouTube. In their sacred dance, they shook off their sins through their bodily movement. One of their most famous dancing songs, which I'm sure many of you know, is Simple Gifts. It's as short and it goes thus. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight, where true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend we shall not be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. That last line is quite powerful. Till by turning, turning, we come round right. Incorporated with Easter joy into the indwelling and metaphorically dancing persons of the Trinity, we too dance, turning and turning, till we come round right. I shudder to think how many times I have turned in my own life. Indeed, metanoia, the turning of the mind in the direction of Christ away from evil, usually translated over simply as conversion, is also suggested. Now, if you are thinking ahead in the sermon, it will be no surprise that the second dance is Sidney Carter's 1963 Lord of the Dance a hymn that you probably either love or hate. The well-known resurrection verse goes, They cut me down and leapt up high. I am the dance that will never, never die. 
If you live in me and you'll live in me, I am the Lord of the dance, said he. Dance, dance, wherever you may be, and so forth. Carter used the tune of the Shaker hymn, Simple Gifts, but drew on an earlier English carol, which I'm sure many of you also know, Tomorrow Shall Be My Dancing Day. Although its collection and publication can be only traced back to the 19th century, it is likely from a medieval mystery play, perhaps as early as the 14th century. It portrays Jesus as a dancer and his life and mission as a dance. It begins, Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. I would my true love did so chance to see the legend of my play, to call my true love to the dance. Ten verses follow, singing of Jesus' life as a dance. The last two sing of Christ's resurrection and reigning in glory and call us into the dance. Then down to hell I took my way for my true love's deliverance and rose again on the third day up to my true love and the dance. Then up to heaven I did ascend, where now I dwell in sure substance on the right hand of God that man may come into the general dance. In this last verse, the dancer dwells with God, inviting us to come into the general dance. General here is an archaic word which means all of us. And I think uh, the great, great company of saints and the great, indeed, the multitudes of the passage from Revelation today may also be seen as engaging in a great worshipful dance. When I was a bishop in the Solomons, I was lucky to have a diocese that danced. Some Eucharists often included young persons of all genders dancing the Kyrie or Gloria. Sometimes servers moved as in a solemn dance, making circles like cherubim and seraphim before the throne of God. Indeed, the Shaker admonition was fulfilled. To bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight. And at the feasts afterwards, we also danced to drums and panpipes and guitars. I am proud we were a dancing diocese, and the dancing continues. However, dance is not completely absent from this diocese. It was good to see photos of liturgical dance at St. Christopher's Burlington last Sunday, celebrating a big anniversary. Indeed, any good liturgy is a divine dance. Well, like many of you, I suspect I do not dance much today. Decreased lung power, bad knees, too many pounds, an aging body all make literal dancing difficult. There's also the problem of the devil on the dancer's back. In the words of the Carter hymn, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back. We often do not feel like dancing in a world of war, violence, poverty, oppression, and loneliness. We often prefer lament. Perhaps we have suffered trauma, perhaps of death or violence or disappointment. Perhaps aging itself and pain become a devil on our back. Or we are very young and we do not really know how to dance or fear an older generation that they may not appreciate our dance or we may be frightened to dance. Yet we are called to the divine dance. Even if bodies do not dance very well, we all have souls, spirits, minds, and relationships that can come to life to dance with the joy of the resurrection. 
Do we think of ourselves as having souls to dance? Do our relationships have a dancing quality? Is our prayer life a dance with God? Do our memories dance? Does our hope for the future include dance? None of these resurrection dances are a, is a somber dirge, but an enlivened, joyful resurrection dance as we are draw, drawn into the divine dance of a triune God. And I hope we can answer yes to at least some of these questions. If not, we can open ourselves to the graceful divine dance and pray for the divine gifts of humility, love, and joy. And if we see the devil on another's back and can help remove it, we do so. We are here to enable each other and the world to dance. But I would close it by emphasizing that in the end, divine dance is but a helpful metaphor for understanding and living our Christian faith and vocation. At the center is God beyond words, beyond concepts, even beyond music and poetry, that is met as much in silence as in word. The paradox is that that powerful silence, that still small voice, makes possible our dance and our ministry and blesses them. In our ever-chattering world of the social media, the television, the online news, where the global narrative is becoming more and more like that of the old tabloid, the National Enquirer, previously viewed only at the supermarket checkout, it is important to continue to return to that silence, that center, hence prayer. Famous Anglo-American poet T.S. Eliot, a convert to Christianity, expressed this insight in a few lines of his poem, uh, Bert Norton in the Four Quartets. I'll just read these few lines. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point. There would be no dance, and there is only the dance. In other words, every dance needs a center, and the center is God. For us, the Word made flesh and Jesus Christ, united in the perfect love of the Holy Spirit, sending out, us out into the world to dance humbly, lovingly, and joyfully in this fallen world. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.